passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we are back here at Post Wrestling, another quarter in the books and on the books for WWE, and that means the return of this man, the guy that runs the place at WrestleNomics. Brandon Thurston is back. It's a big weekend for one Mr. Thurston. Brandon, always great to chat with you. Welcome back to Post Wrestling. It's great to be here to talk with our, uh, some people say that the uh, the biggest events every quarter are AEW pay-per-views, but I think they're not competition and... Uh, I think uh, the the uh, the WrestleNomics visits that we have here uh, with post wrestling are the biggest events of the quarter. Yes, somebody online dubbed these rewind a quarter, which sure let's oh. we will we will get on top of those. So uh, it's certainly a very interesting time for WWE and coming out uh, with this earnings report. I guess what would be your your headline, Brandon, coming out of Thursday's announcement? Certainly, this is one where they're coming off just returning to live events with fans. So they did have a lot to uh, showcase to the analysts of, you know, the, the early returns that we saw over the last two weekends. Yeah. There was a lot of bragging about really things that happened after the end of the quarter. So we're the, the Q2 is April 1st to June 30th, but all of the return to live events started happening uh, in the middle of July. So there was a lot of talk about, viewership how, how how much better ratings are now that they have their live fans back and nick Khan went through just one by one every live event that they've done comparing the merchandise sales of, of that live event to the one before and it's the highest grossing this you know in that city compared to the one before not letting us know whether or not he's comparing raws or pay-per-views to um to house shows or what but uh you know they're, they're trying to put over that they're doing really strong business with the return to to live fans um I'm tempted to talk about profitability and be boring for a second that uh, the average analyst uh, expected an EPS of something like 23 cents per share and ended up being 34 cents per share. So they beat earnings. They were, they were about 36% more profitable than the average stock analyst expected them to be. Um, there was even uh, data that Nick Khan shared, not absolute data points, but, but differences year over year in terms of the viewership of pay-per-views on Peacock. Right. Apparently, people are watching pay-per-views at a at a, at a higher frequency on Peacock, and I, th- and I think the thing that everybody wants to talk about. If, if you want a, a, a tweet to do numbers, just mention AEW and NWE in the same <laughs> same tweet, and uh, and there was some of that here as well. Well, um, we 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 have a wide variety of tweets that, that we could send out. Uh, the fact that uh, revenue for the this quarter was up, and their profit for the quarter was well, their net income. I was down from last year, but it's a very difficult comparison to the second quarter of last year that you can go into, Brandon, is that this is when they're running the empty shows at the Performance Center. And there was just such a great savings during that that quarter that was sort of the silver lining of the pandemic for the company until they had to make the migration to the Thunderdome. 
Yeah. So if we look at Q2, this is Q2, they made $29.2 million in net income, which is down uh, substantially from forty from $43.8 million in Q2 2020. Uh, and like you said, that, that's I think that's largely just due to the, the immediate expenses that they saved by just mm-hmm. running uh, raw and smacked on a fixed location of the performance center. But if you compare this this Q2 to the Q2 of 2019, you know, the last time there wasn't a pandemic in Q2, uh, they made 104 versus this this Q uh, to 29.2. So it's like they're more than double, almost three times as profitable uh, this quarter versus the court, same quarter of two years ago. Uh, last time they weren't having huge expenses because of uh, running out of the PC. Uh, obviously, a lot of the focus was, as you mentioned, just on the the recent return to live events. And it was, it was very notable, just the fact, and I, I don't expect any differently, but it's when television ratings have been one of the central themes of a lot of these calls, it was, you know, television ratings are just one thing that measures our success. But this time around, I mean, they had a lot to trumpet about the, the recent uh, uptick for Raw and SmackDown. And this was, I would say, if you were an analyst coming away from this call, they certainly painted quite a, quite a nicer picture of their television performances. Yeah, and, and ratings have been up uh, yeah. in these. We're now, we're, we're talking on Friday. There'll be a, there's going to be a SmackDown tonight. We'll get an overnight number tomorrow. Uh, but so if we compare how you know, SmackDown and Raw have done Compared to last year in July, they're up in total viewership uh, by by one of my uh, my comparisons in my spreadsheet. You know, SmackDown is up thirteen percent at the moment, and uh, Raw is up four percent in total viewership. Um, compare that to two years ago when when say you know Raw was still on USA Network, uh, and it was, SmackDown was on USA Network too. But Raw is is down like twenty five percent from where it was two years ago in, in the pre-pandemic year of, of 2019. But but viewership is up. Uh, SmackDown did 2.3 million the first week, 2.1 million the second week. I, I've got to think it's going to be down a little bit more. SmackDown hasn't faced a... They, they faced the opening ceremony of the Olympics. They haven't faced actual competition of the Olympics yet, which is which has been a little bit uh, more highly viewed. I don't know what it'll be on a Friday, though. Um, but Raw, Raw did better than I thought it would on the second week, you know, in, in excess of 1.8 million viewers. When I, I was predicting a little bit lower, maybe 1.75. So they're, they're holding up. I'm still skeptical that that viewership is really going to sustain for anything more than a few weeks here. And I think, it, I think it's, I still think it's going to be back to a sort of normal level by the middle of August. Um, but they want to paint a picture and, and you know, I've, I've been saying this for couple of weeks, they'll, they'll have good enough numbers going into that earnings call to be able to say things are great. Your ratings are good. And, uh, you know, rate, ratings are okay. Um, and I think is, I think really the, the main story, I almost wonder if they should include in some of these numbers that they put out sort of their rank among the other programs, because that's where the trends are really stable. Right. And I think that's a, a really significant factor into how much is WWE going to be able to maintain or improve its media values, especially in the U.S., um, their ranking is still strong, at least in you know in eighteen to forty nine, uh, in, in the rankings that now we see at Spoiler TV that we used to see through Showbiz Daily on Monday on cable. Raw is often still number one. Uh, maybe there's an NBA game, NBA playoff game, or something that's in there that that beats it sometimes. Um, but usually Raw is number one. SmackDown is usually neck and neck with Shark Tank on ABC on Friday, and uh, 
that you can say a lot about how how much ratings have declined and how much to be popularity in general i believe has declined there's lots of evidence for that but the the ranking of of we programming compared to the general uh, slew of, of programming in the u.s it still ranks very highly and i think as long as it does rank that highly it's going to continue to get pretty strong media values this might be just a question that you know we're, we're we're very deep in the bubble, obviously. But when it comes to something like a Showbuzz Daily, that uh, no, a lot of people followed that, and you point out like the rankings and such. Like, I don't think Spoiler TV has necessarily taken that mantle yet. Is, is there any kind of um, negative with like that loss of just from a perception standpoint to someone that is following WWE or AEW business and that was a go to for them, or is that kind of you're, you're talking about a very very niche? audience that was seeking out data in that kind of forum. Yeah. I, I would like to think it's a huge population of people, but uh, you know, I've, I've got, I, I've uh, I'm not the world's most popular uh, writer just yet. Um, you know, I think there are some people who relied on showbiz daily, but I don't think it's a huge number of people. I think like if you're, if you're going to say like stock analysts who do have a lot of influence on at least W stock price, I think, think if they need it, they probably can get access to, to number to data like that some other way, if not through some connection in media. I don't know if they can, if they would get a, a Nielsen subscription. That's one mm-hmm. of the weird, uh, I, I had a phone call with somebody from Nielsen, uh, like a month or two ago, just to see like, what would it cost? And do they, would do, do they even sell Nielsen subscriptions to people in the media? And, uh, the guy wanted to wanted to charge me like ten thousand dollars for, <laughs> a, a, you know, a, a weekly update of of certain data, which is going to be way. Oh, trust me, I trying to get numbers up here in Canada. You, you'd think yeah. I'm asking for like a meeting with the Pope to have access to to this as a media member. It's uh, these are very uh, protected numbers, and I always look at it that um, if nothing else, Brandon, you have proven the effectiveness of charts, and I think just having that that Tuesday pattern that people go to a site and they see a chart very nicely color-coded and raw is occupying those top three slots or three of the top 10. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that connects with a lot of people in just in a, in a subtle perception value, I think. Yeah. And, and WWE's publishing these numbers too, if nothing else quarterly, they're not publishing every, every week, but they do put in their, in their key performance indicators, my favorite W documents that you can find at corporate.w.com. They, they do publish their the viewership, the total viewership for Raw and SmackDown. They don't talk about NXT, interestingly, but, but they do, do do Raw and SmackDown and have for years. Was NXT mentioned once on this call? I don't think so. I don't think it came up once uh, in, so. in the call at all. And to my knowledge, Paul Levesque was not on this call. I never assume he's on the call, but there's been the odd time that Vince, just, Paul, Paul will answer that yeah. question. And all of a sudden, Paul's like in the background and he, he uh, <laughs> leans in, but he was not identified as even being on this call. I, I think there's a lot more people in the room than we hear talk. Probably. Um, because the, it, for the last few, since the Nikon era, it's, we've had uh, four people who have been advertised to appear on this thing. And it's Vince, it's Nikon, Stephanie McMahon, and the CFO, Christina Salen. And before that, it was just Vince, Frank Riddick, the interim CFO, but before that, I guess it was Vince, George Barrios, and Michelle Wilson. And sometimes Stephanie would, would chime in. And sometimes, like you said, he would say, yeah, Paul, handle that. And, and, and all of a sudden, Paul would talk. But uh, I, I imagine there's quite a few people, including media relations and investor relations, who are in the room. Uh, Michael White's two of investor relations is obviously there. He does the intro every, every quarter. But uh, yeah, no mention of NXT. And it, um, 
it's not something that stock analysts deeply care about. You know, I, I always say uh, when I first started listening to these things, I, I wanted to know why this, why these people on the Q and A were not asking tougher questions and grilling them. They're, they're just trying to ask questions that help them figure out what the future of this business is and how to make their financial estimates. Um, but uh, it, it leaves one to wonder what is, what does Vince at least think of the place of NXT at this point now that, you know, we, I've heard people speculate that, you know, maybe Vince just views Paul Levesque and NXT as sort of a failure. It wasn't able to beat uh, AEW in the ratings. And uh, you know, you see things like Karen Cross losing in two minutes to Jeff Hardy with the title around his waist. Uh, who knows what he thinks of it. And uh, it wasn't, it, it's, it wasn't a show worth bringing up. Apparently they've renewed their TV deal. That will, the first term, the two year term will expire in September, probably the end of September and the goal to another term. There's no indication that they've received any sort of raise in, in the, in the amount of money that they're getting from NBC universal for the, for being on USA. And I'm still very skeptical that it's worth that much money anyway. I think it's, if I were to guess, I, I'm, fairly confident that it's worth substantially less than what AEW is getting. And to put that in some context, AEW is getting $44 million uh, per year on an average annual basis. And I think it's probably substantially less than that and maybe not even a lot of guaranteed money. So, but uh, you know, like the stock price doesn't move when that, that announcement is made. So it can't be a big deal. Well, it was interesting to hear uh, Nick Khan outline kind of th- their biggest areas uh, for growth. They mentioned the, Uh, licensing of the WWE network internationally. So looking to mirror what they've done with Peacock in the U S sales and sponsorship and then scripted and unscripted television. And you look at, you know, one of the, the big terms that was getting thrown out a lot over the last few years was global localization. And now that you're on the back end of a pandemic, like is I'm, I would be very curious about what the new philosophy is when it comes to like, I think this is a company that very much wants to make content, sell content in all these different parts of the world. But the idea of different performers, performance centers popping up at a time when we've seen cuts to NXT, we've seen Canyon Seaman let go. Like, what is their development process today, uh, as opposed to maybe even a year ago where it was? Outside of that one reference we've heard from Nick Khan about going to Mexico, like you haven't heard too much about that idea of planting our flag in different parts of the world and kind of building that foundation. Yeah. So global localization is a literally a presentation that Paul Levesque gave. And I think it was the business partner summit of 2018. Or, I think it was. I 18. Think it was, yeah. Where he stood up on, on the stage before all the business partners on WrestleMania weekend. And we, we looked at the big yellow map behind him and, he, and there were NXT logos all over it at, uh, on different continents. And uh, it looks like, well, maybe they were going to do India. And uh, they did that special, the Superstar Spectacular for the India market. But there certainly hasn't been an NXT India that's, that's popped up yet. Um, I have to think that a lot of the, the strategy uh, about what they seriously want to do, it has changed with maybe not just Nick Khan. I know everybody likes to say, well, it's Nick Khan doing this and that, but it, it, it's but a it's whole a, new team. That's essentially exactly. like the Barrios Wilson team has been, you know, Nick Khan is kind of the, the face of it, but it's, it's a new team and new ideas inherently are going to come with that. Yeah. I think there's a lot that happens you know, downstream because this and this and that have changed and leadership has changed, but, but yeah, I, I wonder if uh, you look at the performance center and I, I think there's, if it's you know up to me to have the discussion, I, I think is the performance center a success? What are we really spending on the performance center? It's not clear from their filings what they're spending on the performance center, but it's a lot uh, b- between 
maintaining the facility and maintaining all the coaches and, and keeping all that talent under contract. Uh, it's a really expensive venture. And I, I don't know that it's the most efficient way to produce talent. Um, you look at what a lot of talent have done since they've left, left the performance center system and they've, they've gone on to greater success in other places, including AEW. So I, I don't know that it's, do you want to open up another performance center uh, in, in addition to the one you've got in the UK? Uh, it's going to be a lot more expense. And uh, you know, is it going to have the output for you that, uh, that uh, you felt like it was going to give you in 2018 when things felt better, when the NXT brand was hotter um, and when, uh, when AEW didn't exist. Um, I, I think that's a big question and it, 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 it just, it does look like, you know, the Paul Levesque version of, of developmental is not held in as high regard as it once was. Yeah. And I would also look at just the idea of, you know, developmental is the idea that, you know, this is, you know, some of our most success has come from talent that we sign once they're well into their career why are we footing the bill for years one through five when they can be out there? It's the industry is going to weed itself out of those that can thrive. And then we sign them and we bring them in when they are ready to be put on the main roster, put on television instead of, you know, year after year of working out at the performance center. It's just interesting that we'll probably see in the next year or two, like what is the the next step of, of that entire process of their business. Um, lo- looking just at the, the, the call itself. Uh, Nikon usually is front and center for all of this. What were some of your major takeaways? Any surprises that came out of his statements? Uh, we're going to get John Cena NFTs in conjunction with uh, SummerSlam. Go right next to my Undertaker one, which I don't even know if that's physically possible to put something next to an NFT. I still cannot break right. down an NFT for you, but like I get the sense that like NFTs have cooled off a bit, but they're they're going all in on these. Yeah, I, th- I think NFT, I've heard people say, well, you, you know, the NBA Top Shots, which is really what started this NFT craze, at least in sports memorabilia, um, maybe those serve as an educational tool, maybe NFTs in some form, some form or another, whether it's through, you know, collectibles or not, is going to sort of educate consumers into, in, into knowing what an NFT is. Um, I, I don't see these as something that's going to generate major revenue. I mean, the, the Undertaker NFTs sold out pretty quickly, but it's not like they sold a ton of volume. Um it's, it's, it's an interesting experiment. And I know they have some investors who are like, you know, this is the cool thing to do right now. And you need to see if there's, you know, you know how passionate your WWE fans are. They would probably love this. Um, so it, they should at least be experimenting in it. Um, it's probably something that they contract out and it's probably not a lot of risk for them to, to, to take on if it doesn't work out well. So might as well. I feel like there, there's a joke somewhere about, you can't see me uh, somewhere in that. Oh, but, they uh, can, they can certainly drill that, drill that one home. Um, they're also going to be revisiting the whole uh, construction of their new headquarters. And that looks to be like the major spending uh, for the rest of the year. So it looks like uh Casa de McMahon is going to be expanding greatly this year. Yeah. That's something that's been put on hold because of the pandemic. Uh, they're just moving down the street in Stanford. They, we got some confirmation that they are going to sell the three facilities that they currently use. I knew that they had two. I, I, I don't know that I knew that they had three, but they have their main headquarters. They have a media facility and, a, and that's some sort of digital media facility. But, but anyway, Christina Salen said that they are going, they do expect to sell those buildings. So if you want to, to buy a Titan Tower and uh, turn it into a, a wrestling hall of fame, uh, in, in, in tribute of Ole Anderson and, and people like that, you can do that in, in the years to come. Uh, how I did not speak with you about this, but uh, of course this caught a lot of people off guard on Monday 
uh, the beginning of the week with the announcement of the United States of America versus Vince McMahon coming to uh, a TV network to be determined uh, near you. Do you think we get this this series, Brandon? Is this going to make it to a distributor? Are we going to see this series at the end of the day? I think it'll come out sometime after the pandemonium movie comes out starring Bradley Cooper that was announced, <laughs> I think in 2017, maybe that's still being shopped around. Um, maybe sometime after the Netflix, maybe the next, the next Netflix announcement about the documentary, the multi-part documentary on Zig man, that is recently enough uh, that maybe that's still going to come out. Um, I think it's interesting. You think about like, is it just a coincidence that, that, that the pandemonium thing happened and the, uh, what about, what about uh, Stephanie's memoir? Remember Stephanie's what? memoir that was completed Lady in like Balls. 2016? Lady Balls. They had to re- rename it. I don't know why. They weren't happy with that name, apparently, for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but yeah so, somewhere on a bookshelf never came lies out. Uh, Stephanie McMahon and Paul Heyman's books. They are just lying there without anyone to have read these. Yeah. I, I don't want to get like too, be too much of a conspiracy theorist, but... I, you know, I mean, Vince is a control freak. I wonder if there's like certain, you know, certain stuff that he either doesn't want out told or, or he wants certain control over the telling of certain stories that uh, they just don't, they don't pass through the, the Vince filter and they just get shelved. Yeah. It's, it was one that certainly caught me off guard. And just that if like, obviously this is through a, a, a WWE lens. I mean, they have an executive producer credit on it, but to me, it's like that story is like, very much the roots of it go to the whole ring boy scandal. It's like, I don't know why you would want to even touch that anything that connects the dots. But I think it's also, I think they look at Vince McMahon is the most compelling figure we have. And this is when we are selling ideas and series. uh, That's the name that WWE has. That is the most like how many book projects are out there. The Netflix series, you add this to the mix. Vince McMahon is your common thread between all of these projects that I think you look at this company getting everything they can out of the, the lore of Vince McMahon. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a lot of interesting stories to tell. Um, at least, at least I, I feel that way as a viewer, but it's, it's, this is definitely one of the stories, the, the steroid trial and then Phil Mushnick being out to get him. Are these, this is one of the stories that he feels is an important story in his life. Um, and we got a reminder of that too. There are certain certain stories in Vince McMahon's life that he still apparently draws back on. We we he brought up the name Ted Turner yesterday, which I was like, "Yep, that's Vince is still Vince, I guess." But uh, you know, there's there are definitely these things that he he's fixated on. And I mean, being being indicted and being put on trial is is definitely a big deal. But uh, I I, th- I thought it was interesting too that um, Rupert Murdoch is named in there as you know as sort of these positions in that press release, sort of as a villain, as the person who uh, owns the New York post. This is the newspaper that column, the columnist Phil Mushnick was writing for those. He was writing all these uh, columns that were very critical of Vince that maybe led to, you know, the, the investigations from the justice department. Um, it's, it's an interesting coincidence that you would name Rupert Murdoch, who still owns the, you know, the Fox corporation today, which is one of your business partners. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the network that, uh, airs SmackDown. Um, I think the, you know, the rumors that I've seen about WWE and, and Fox, uh, maybe knocking along, um, I think they're probably maybe a little bit exaggerated. I I do think though, that there's some discomfort about promoting Peacock uh, sure. on Fox. Um, I think there is some discomfort there and there would be more comfort if SmackDown was doing 
two and a half million viewers or three million viewers, but it's not. It's doing two million or two point one. We'll see what it does tonight. Um, so I, th- I thought that was a remarkable uh, coincidence. And 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 David Vixen's band went through the history and, and found that well, actually Rupert Murdoch didn't quite even own it at that time. So it's uh, I don't know how does that make its way into the into the press release. That's interesting. Yeah, as I said, it's it's always a great sign when uh, David Bixen's band can write a whole piece <laughs> fact-checking a press release. We're not even yes. at the treatment for this show yet, right. uh, and you can already fact-check a couple of paragraphs. That his his school-aged children, his his children were in school at the time. They were 18 and 24, and uh, poor Vince, you know, he's just, I, I have so much sympathy for Vince. Everybody's out to get him, especially in, in that period. Well, we will look forward to that. The the martyr, Vince McMahon, fighting for free speech against the oppressive media. Um, the other note is that it looks like uh, quarter four, we will get the return of the trademarked large-scale live event, large-scale international event, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I saw Andrew Zarian from the Madman podcast say that, it, uh, and, and you've uh, said that it's October 21st is what you've heard? That was the date I, I Andrew Zarian reported, and then I heard that was that was accurate. So that's the date I'm under the impression it's earmarked for. Yeah. So they're not, they didn't explicitly confirm that they're going to do a large scale international event for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But uh, one stock analyst did ask Christina Salen to confirm that, that in their financial projection that they are providing uh, that a, that a large scale international event was, was assumed in the guidance. And she, she explicitly said that it was, they do so. In other words, they do expect to run a, a Saudi event before the end of the year. Uh, and if they didn't expect to, their guidance wouldn't be what it was. It would be a different range of numbers than the ones that, that, that they give. Um, so yeah, they're going to go back to to Saudi Arabia and get in excess of fifty million dollars to go there. Um, if uh, the Delta variant doesn't doesn't uh, prevent them, we'll see. Um, I don't know. Like, what are the restrictions going to be? I know they're going to go to, to the UK uh, in a few weeks here. I think it's September. Uh, I'm just, I just, I need to look into more. What are the, uh, what are the requirements and restrictions? Do people have to be vaccinated? Uh, who can go and can't when, when there's already issues about who can go and can't and who can perform and who can't uh, on the Saudi shows. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it opens up so many questions. And <clears throat> if you go through that 10 Q, like, it seems like there are constant reminders of, you know, just it's very much on their radar of like the potential problems that they could have in the the remainder. It's not as though this is all behind us and there couldn't be another shutdown again. I think they're very much operating with that potential. Yeah. They they declined to give updated, more specific guidance, which it's been so long now. I think they would give more specific guidance as far as what they expect for their favorite profit metric adjusted OEBDA, but they're being cautious and saying, we're not going to give updated guidance because of, uh, you know, just, just out of caution related to COVID-19 and its variants. They did, did explicitly say in that, in that uh, earnings release and its variants or something like that uh, about COVID. So going back to Saudi Arabia, and this has been stated before by WWE that, you know, any events missed just get tacked on to the end of the deal. It's a 10 year deal. And, you know, I'm, I'm certain an accountant could maybe break this all down, but I would be very curious that, you know, at, I could very well see at the end of year eight, year nine, they want to extend this deal. And when will this shortfall of two events, when will that money be realized? If it's just constantly put off, do they maybe try and push through and do three events next year and three the following year just to bring everything up so that you don't have this shortfall of approximately 
$100 million as opposed to a deal being extended. And that's always kind of this carrot at the end of the deal that you never get to. Yeah. I, Vince did use language like it would be put on at the end of the deal, which gave me the impression that they would, that the 10 year deal would just become how many events have they missed now? They did lasted one in October, 2019. So they would have missed one in the middle. They, they did one in uh, early 2020. 2020. They got in there. I'm they sorry, got one in right? yeah. February 27th, 2021 was the last time they were there. So they missed one at the end of 2020, the beginning of this year, and then maybe they'll do the one at the end of this year. So they've missed two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe it'll be, uh, I, I, I was even thinking, you know, when it looked like maybe we would be returning to live events and vaccines were getting distributed here in the U.S. a lot, uh, pretty widely, that may, maybe we were closer to the return of live events than we were, that maybe they would try to get two in. Um, oh, why, why not? Why not just do a two day, a two day uh, uh, crown jewel? Crown jewels. see that happening. Just pluralize. Crown yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess. That's not out of the question, right? Especially when there's sort of a precedent that, oh yeah, we can do a two-day WrestleMania. Why can't we do a two-day Saudi event? It would almost make sense of doing, like if you could do that, do a two-day event, um, you eliminate that problem of trying to get back for Friday for SmackDown, do a, you know, it's SmackDown from Saudi Arabia. And like anything, when you run two events in the same location, you're saving a lot of money that way too. Sure. Which, uh, Which is a saving, which would make, if that happened, highly you know, speculative here, but if that happened, that would make those Saudi events even more lucrative because you don't have the huge expense of, of setting up and tearing down. It's sort of some, some of that expense is cut in half. WWE is going to do just fine. I think they will be, they're going to make it through. Everyone can uh, relax. <laughs> um, as we kind of just transition off of this, I would be remiss not to uh, get some of your reaction to today's AEW presale at the United center over 10,000 yes. tickets sold. Uh, based off of four words from Darby Allen on Wednesday night, um, this was definitely above my expectation of what the presale would do. And it, uh, the general on sale is Monday, and it looks like like this is going to be an enormous success. And I would say Wednesday night, um, yeah, the possibility was there for this, but to actually see this response to the presale, I think that's a hell of a statement of this audience and their their belief, their trust in this company that they're going to get what's being dangled in front of them, even though it has not been stated outright. Right. And this is going to be August 20th, right? August 20th. Yes. So week two of Rampage. United Center. And it looks like if I look back at the, uh, the, what, what WrestleTix has put out, they're, they're at over 10,000 that maybe the capacity will be maybe around, I think, I, th- I think I saw 13,000 in any event, it's going to be not quite as big in all likelihood as, as the, as what they're going to have in Arthur Ashe, where they're nearly at 17,000 tickets out for Arthur Ashe on September 22nd. But, uh, I've got to think that that CM Punk is going to be there. In fact, if he's not there, there's going to be serious problems (laughs) on that night. Um, if if ever they uh, don't have pen to paper on this guy, my God, could, does he have you over a barrel? Like I would think this has to be completely locked in by the time they, did this announcement. I, I think when you see Tony Khan responding to questions publicly about, you know, do you, are, are you negotiating or are CM Punk and Brian Danielson on their way to, to AEW? And he says, yeah, he can't talk about it. Or he has no comment when he could just as easily downplay it or, or say, you know, we have no deals in place with them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely not confirming it, but uh, I, I don't see why you wouldn't downplay it or deny it if it wasn't really happening. Um, so I, I'm pretty confident that 
both those guys are on their way. Um, and if, and if they weren't, if there weren't actually deals in place or, or the sense from both parties that a deal was going to be completed, then I think there would be some denial either from AEW or from punk or Brian themselves. Um, so I, I think, I think that's going to happen. And, um, I think it's going to be, obviously it's going to do immediate big business at, at the United center in terms of a live event. Um, it goes a long way too. That's going to be a rampage. It goes a long way. That'll be the second rampage after the first rampage. It will probably be a heavily hyped rampage. The, the first edition of any TV show is going to, I mean, remember W main event with the debut, uh, on, on the W network, wherever it was with John Cena, it was, a, it was, a, it felt like maybe it would be another big show, but, but now the main event is main event. But anyway, you know, the, so I think rampage on, on episode one will be a big deal. And then you've got the second one looking like it's going to have CM Punk on it. Um, it it's going to go a long way toward what AEW, I think, wants to do is to not just have a Raw to sell, but to have a SmackDown to sell as well. And I think there's a, a big lesson from what WWE did. There's a ton of things to, to, to criticize WWE for over, over these last five years or so. But one of, the, one of the smartest things they did from a business standpoint is that they, they did, did the brand split or they found some way to make SmackDown really valuable uh, where in, you know, let's say 2015, I think SmackDown just sort of felt like a B show that they, you didn't really need to see. And then uh, they split the rosters and uh, eventually even made SmackDown live on Tuesday, which maybe is not even as big of a deal. But uh, they made SmackDown a, a more important show to watch again, and it helped its viewership. And they moved its time slots around. They moved it from from uh, Thursday night to Tuesday night, and they moved it from sci-fi to USA, and now they moved it to Fox. But, but the reason why they were able to sell it to Fox at, at, a, at a better rate than it would have been otherwise is because they, they made that show more valuable by, by splitting the roster, which sounds like I'm making an argument for why AEW should split the roster, but I'm not. My, my point is that they're, they had a really strong show and a, and a marginally weaker show in SmackDown that they elevated to almost be equal. And I think it really benefited them in, in their, their ability to negotiate favorable media rights values. Um, SmackDown is worth a lot more, I think. Uh, it's worth $205 million rather than some number less than that if they hadn't uh, pushed really hard to improve the viewership of that show and make it uh, more, you know, to make people feel like they had to watch it more. And that's what AEW needs to do to not just sell a, a, a highly ranked show like Dynamite, but they, they are trying to develop a second uh, show that will be rampage that, that will, you know, it's the difference between um, maybe it's the difference between having, you know, media rights values that are X versus me having media rights values that are, you know, 1.3 X or 1.5 X. So, so that, that, that's what I think they're doing there. And if you can get some really good momentum with rampage and have people have these memories of the first rampage was a big deal. The second rampage had CM Punk on it. My God, it's a good ramp to, to keep this into, into, you know, becoming a big deal show and not just becoming another, uh, another hour of TV that I don't need to, to watch. Um, so, so yeah. I think it's also going to be very telling just to see, like, we know this is going to be a very big deal for AEW, but it's also, I think just cutting beyond the wrestling audience of how, how much attention this brings to them. You have, I mean, raw is in Chicago on Monday. They're going to have a full, all state arena that I can't imagine that this is not going to spark huge. <laughs> like this is a, a Chicago crowd that has not been to a big WWE show in at least a year and a half, probably since the, the Christmas tour of 2019 that I think the punk chants are back on Monday. And then this, 
theoretical debut at Rampage is happening on the eve of SummerSlam. Like I, I can't imagine that th- there is not an element of this that is designed to take some of the wind out of the WWE sales to prop them up. And this is going into September where they're going to have a lot of attention in the Northeast with, with the Newark show with Arthur Ashe stadium, that they are going to be getting a lot of media attention that they have not received before. Yeah. Chicago. I didn't put that together. I, I knew raw. There was a raw in Chicago, but it is, it is this coming Monday. Um, where there are about 12,000 uh, tickets out. Um, and I'm sure Kevin Dunn and his team will be working hard that night to, uh, to obfuscate any, any unintended crowd reactions. Um, but I, I, th- I think uh, Punk and Brian, I, like I said, I'm pretty confident that they're on their way to AEW. And it's gonna, I think it's going to go a long way toward uh, inspiring some confidence in the wrestling fan. I don't know how many, how many of them there are who are, let's say, wrestling fans who are, not uh, not not totally all in, no pun intended, on on AEW, but uh, but uh, you know might be willing to to engage with it more. If you at add- least stop in and and see, like if you are aware of AEW but you're not watching it, like these are the kinds of things that you're gonna stop and at least check in and see what what's going on with this company. Yeah, I think it goes a long way to to building some credibility for them, and. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to help their viewership um, at a time in September, let's say, let's say it's you know, CM Punk in, uh, in uh, Chicago. Let's say maybe it's Daniel Bryan by the time they get to Arthur Ashe and uh, in September at a time when raw is going to be going against Monday night football, which is going to take some, some degree of a bite out of their viewership, maybe 10%. Um, and we're getting, we're getting closer and closer in certain younger demographics. Like I always say, WWE has this massive P50 plus audience that watches them that will fortify, fortify the comparison between raw and, and dynamite. Uh, it'll be, it'll be hard for dynamite to, to overcome, uh, to overcome raw. The lowest viewership ever for, for raw is one, I think 1.47 million viewers. Uh, that's a couple, couple hundred thousand below the highest number that, uh, dynamite has done i think except for that first episode they might have done 1.4 i would have to look it up for the first dynamite but uh yeah just over time i i see uh aew continuing to uh use the trust that it's that it's earned uh from its fans uh, from delivering what some believe to be a good product uh and NWE, which is, I think, for, for many years, frustrated a lot of fans uh, who are hungry for an alternative. In some ways, they try to super serve those people, if you will, uh, with NXT and maybe with some other things. Uh, but it's, you know, you can only do it so long before I think the sort of inauthenticity of WWE starts to creep in. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, 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 it's complicated and it's easy for me to sit back and be like, oh, yeah. AEW is going to overtake them in this and that in, in, you know, a short amount of time in months maybe, but uh, it, it always turns out to be a little bit more complicated than you would expect. And it's, it's a, a thing that I wrestle with a lot is like, how, what really is the, the sentiment of, of the wrestling fan base in general, or who even are those people? What is the volume of those people? We know that two in excess of 2 million people watch W programming on any, on any given week. Uh, but what are those fans really thinking? How frustrated really are they with, with WWE? And are, are, is this sort of fan that we see defending WWE at, at every angle on Twitter, for example, that how representative of that is, is the, is the general wrestling fan or WWE fan. And that's harder for me to unpack. 
And partly I've, I've done these, uh, these net promoter score surveys. I've done three of them now. So we almost start to see trends. I've been doing this every quarter where we do see, uh, I, I do this through Facebook. I put out a Facebook ad mm-hmm. that, uh, is hopefully more random than it would be if I had just, you know, sent out a, a survey off of my social media. Um, so I'm not sharing it organically only through a paid ad. And, and I do see you know, every survey that I've done so far, the three times that I've done it is that uh, people feel more positively about AEW dynamite than they do about raw or SmackDown or NXT. Um, the thing that we're measuring there, net promoter score is, uh, you take people who, who scored the show very low as far as would they recommend it. Uh, those are the detractors. Then you have some passes in the middle and then people who, who like rate it at the maximum rating, they're the promoters. And uh, I, th- I think that is an, an underrated um, quality in, in probably any brand, but, but particularly in wrestling where uh, yeah, it's, it's great to have a product. So it's great to promote it. It's great to have all these great business partners where across our platforms, we promote each other and NBC does this and that for us and Fox too. Uh, but the best kind of promotion that you can have is from actual customers, consumers who say, who tell their friends and their family members that this is, you should check this out. It's actually pretty good. Um, and zombies and, and zombies. That's right. You have to have zombies in there and, uh, and help Batista put on the best Netflix movie yet. You know, and just, just, just things like, like that, you're going to get me sidetracked, John, uh, that, you know, you got Stephanie McMahon out there talking about how great this, this, uh, this integration was, uh, for, for armies of the dead or army of the dead, uh, for, um, the Netflix movie where Ryan Satin of all people, our friend Ryan Satin didn't even like it. Uh, it was universally buried. Uh, I don't think this was just a, you know, smart Mark internet fan who just complains too much. And here she is on, on this conference call, really celebrating this great moment, which if you're a, a, a lay investor, who's more interested in, in, in the gains that you can make in WB stock than you are in the actual product, you, it would, yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, that sounds like really smart uh, integration. Yeah. That sounds great to my, my business mind. That's not, it doesn't, doesn't get acquainted with, with W programming. Uh, but I think, I think that's just that, that moment there from the, from the backlash pay-per-view where they have the, the zombies come out is just sort of a, this great example of how much WWE puts its business partners and its perception in the media industry above their care for what their fans think and above their care for whether or not their fans are going to promote their product to, to their, to their friends and thereby growing their audience. But, you know, we talk about it's, often. it's an excellent point, just that disconnect that you bring out, because a lot of the times when we'll see stuff like that, even if it's universally panned, the argument is always, well, this was a gigantic deal for the company. And no one no one argues that point. But there is a certain fan service you're disregarding and look no further than Wednesday when they did the Space Jam integration on Dynamite. And that was received very positively. It's like you your audience will accept these things if there is a a meeting in the middle uh, of how to present this in an organic way um, that both serves your, your business interests and your, your fan interests, which I think sometimes you're seeing like you have one company that there is clearly a premium placed on the fan side of things that an audience feels maybe disenfranchised on the other side. Yeah. I, I, I think it's really interesting how you, 
Stephanie McMahon's title is literally the chief brand officer. And you could tell, you could tell a story about how, how much WWE has improved as a brand. And you can go to that community website that they have about all, all these charitable uh, activities that they're involved in, uh, which is great. And they've done a lot to improve the perception of their brand over time. They've done a lot. I believe I don't have real data about this, but I believe they've done a lot to improve their ad rates over time. Uh, it's not what it once was where you could barely sell advertising for, for wrestling. It has become, I think TVPG has helped them in that regard. Definitely. Um, you can just look at the, the advertisers they have. Like it's remarkable when you compare. Yeah. Um, and, and while they've done this, uh, you know, and, and while they've been able to explode their media values and, and all oh, they have all these blue chip sponsors, they've, they've improved and took great care of their brand perception with other businesses, you know, with you know, signing deals with leaders who probably don't spend more, more time than it takes to watch a sizzle reel uh, watching their product. And in, in the meantime, they've, uh, they've allowed their, their fan relationship, uh, their, their fan perception, the, the perception of their brand uh, from fans to deteriorate. And uh, the big question is just does at, at what point does that come to back to bite them in a serious way? It hasn't so far because this company is more profitable than it's ever been. And it's probably going to be, it's probably going to break its profit records again in 2021. Uh, I think they're going to, the, the estimate that I ran, I think they're going to make almost $200 million in net income this year, which will break last year's record for inflation. Well, all the analysts watching this, they got to, they got to go with your estimates. Okay. Cause you've been nailing these estimates. And I'm not kidding. Like you are <laughs> on like, seriously, like you were, did, did anyone pr- predict this earnings per share closer than you? Nobody did. I went on, I went on a Yahoo. Brandon's too humble. Everyone. So, so I'm, I'm well, going to put it out there. So I, I've realized what I need to start doing is not looking at what the, uh, what the consensus analyst estimate is. Uh, I think I, I, I hit it really well. I think this time last year, QC last year, whenever, when nobody else realized uh, how, how much money they were saving, uh, at the performance center. So I had that, that ahead of, you know, in a stock analysts, um, again, who are not like, it's not their job and their life to follow wrestling business. Like maybe it is mine. So, so they're not as, maybe not as in touch on all this stuff. Um, so I, I was on for that. And then, and then I ran an estimate the other day and I, you know, got the EPS that I got. And then I looked and I said, Oh God, I'm, I'm over everybody again. But I was like, all right, I'll, I'll learn my lesson from last time because I, I adjusted it after looking and thinking, oh, they must know something I don't. And, but uh, I did, I, I looked at the historical expectations of, of what, what did the stock analysts expect for the last few quarters? And then what did I actually write on WrestleNomics.com? Uh, and it's a mixed bag, but we'll, we'll see. Now that, now that I have more confidence in myself uh, going forward, uh, maybe this will be a line chart that will be worthy of publishing and bragging about uh, in a few quarters to come. Your your phone's going to be ringing. It's going to be Curry Baker with a four part question for you about uh, how you're breaking all of this down. Uh, my last question, because you've been very generous uh, with your time here, uh, you broke down the uh, the quarters from Fight for the Fallen on Wednesday, and obviously the biggest thing, both going in and coming out, centered around the main event with Chris Jericho and Nick Gage. Uh, do you view this as a success? And what what do you take away from the Nick Gage experiment if you are AEW? Is this a one-off? Is this something you, you could do again? Do <laughs> I uh, risk doing it again. I, I think Nick Gage is awesome. I, I, I've been on shows with him. Uh, I'm going to wrestle the first time tomorrow, but, but back in the day in 2019, I was on a few shows with him and he looks like from, from the outside, if you just see clips of him, like the scariest dude, but then you like, you're around him. He's just like the, the greatest locker room leader. But uh, I think, I think it was 
for my taste as a wrestling fan and, and combine that with some of the reaction that I saw, I thought it was great. Um, now that said, uh, it was a very violent match that I, that, you know, we have this controversy now where Domino's has put this statement out, uh, saying that they were not, they did not approve of this. And, uh, this is not the first violent or bloody match that, that has uh, been on AEW dynamite. Um, there's been Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. There's been the blood and blood and guts war games match. Um, the difference which, which this didn't time. have much fallout yeah. to it. Like there was, there didn't seem to be any kind of unrest. This is the first time. And this was the furthest they've gone. Well, well, the difference this time is that there was a pizza cutter being used to, to scrape somebody's head at the, at the moment that they went picture in picture to Domino, Domino's commercial, uh, which kind of created a viral moment. Fans enjoyed it, but it, it brought a lot of attention to what was happening there. Um, and it, it sounds like Domino's saying that, you know, we might pull our ad. And uh, so I was asking someone who works in the ad industry today, you know, what they thought of this situation. Cause I've seen, seen people say, well, even if Domino's pulls out, you know, they'll, they'll get replaced real fast by somebody else. And, and I don't know, maybe they will. It's, it's hard to really say for me without knowing what's going on in the minds of executives at Turner, you know, what do they really think about this? Um, I've been told, you know, early on in, in AEW's run that Turner gave them some reassurance as far as, you know, being worried about whether things are getting too violent and that they were reassured that just put on, put on the best possible show that you think you need to put on and, and you know, not worry about whether or not, uh, you know, Vince is right about being blood and guts. Um, so I guess it's just a question of, you know, how much does, does Turner have a stomach for this? If they do get some feedback from, uh, from advertisers, um, the, as far as the viewership goes, um, the viewership, I think we have an anomaly here is because I heard from a lot of direct TV subscribers that there was the, the free, the feed froze for them uh, in the early part of the show. So we see this massive 20% drop across all these demos. I'm like, what is going on there? And then I got this feedback about mm. people uh, having problems with direct TV. So it, there's this, they, they peak up to 1.2 million viewers. I think it's in Q3. And then it has this massive drop after that. But then every quarter after that is more highly viewed than the next uh, peaking, not exactly peaking, but it, the second most viewed quarter of the show is that main event between Jericho and Nick Gage. Um, so I think it's, it's a success. And, uh, I, I, I hear people talk about how you should, yeah, you should bring in, I think you guys have said it, that you should, you should bring Nick Gage in as, as an occasional attraction. You know, you don't want to have maybe a, a Nick Gage match every week, but maybe a few times a year or once a year, twice a year, something like that. He's, he's brought in as this mercenary to, to, you know, to scare the, the shit out of somebody. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think it's okay, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think you, I don't know how to, uh, adjust for this like don't i don't know don't run pizza commercials when you've got uh somebody beating somebody up with a with a a, a thing that you used to to cut pizza with um, or, or do it on pay-per-view any- and promote it like he's banned from television like you there's ways yeah. you can certainly get around this as well i i think they use them again i think it's just a matter of like you know making it you know like a once a year thing or or just enough distance in between that they can actually use this to their benefit but it's also not the thing where I think a lot more advertisers are probably aware of this match just because of this mini controversy. And does it raise the ire of anyone else that kind of AEW was operating and now they've, they've got some of this attention for the wrong reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I said, I think it just comes down to you're, you're weighing, well, this is the content that we want to do. And we feel like we have to make certain creative choices to produce a show that's of this quality. That's going to attract people more so than it would if we didn't do this stuff is you have to weigh that against the cost of or some of our advertisers might not be comfortable with this. Um, so I, that's something that, uh, I guess Turner has to weigh. And, uh, we, we know that AEW loves to please Turner. They love their business partner. So they will, they will do probably just about whatever they tell them to do. Well, Brandon, it's always great to catch up with you. And this weekend you are back. If cage match is accurate, your first match since March the 7th of last year, as you'll be working empire state wrestling at Buffalo river works. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. I've uh, so our local promoter, Brett, Call him Brett Mednick. Uh, I've been on his case for a number of years. He lives in like this distant exurb kind of a it's a city called Lockport, and I've been, which is like a forty-five minute drive from from Buffalo, New York. And I've been on his case for years about running in Buffalo. He's you're you're like known as this Buffalo promotion, but you don't run in Buffalo. Come on, and uh, but River River Works is where NXT has did a house show, and there've been a ROH has run there. Like yeah, it's it's a really that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll be running there. It's going to be my first match. That eight, cage match is accurate, I think. That's probably Excite Wrestling from from March 2021. Um, I have been training again since June. I did not I did not step foot in a ring from March 2020 to I think June 1st is when I came back to the school. Uh, yeah, I did not have that much interest in, in wrestling during a pandemic with people running around in masks and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, but I, after I was vaccinated and then waited a couple of months, everybody else has access to the vaccine. Uh, I started training again and it's given me a newfound appreciation for, oh yeah, wrestling is really hard. I got, I got so blown up so badly on the the first several times I, I trained again. So, uh, but my cardio has improved. Uh, you know, I've been learning from Bob Backlund. He would do the the steps. I've been doing the, the step test to test yeah, my cardio. The Harvard step test. Yes, exactly. And uh, I'm, I'm, it has improved. I'm, I'm on a positive trend actually downward trend because you, your, your pulse rate, uh, doesn't have to work as fast. So yeah, I'm wrestling Nick Ando tomorrow for empire state wrestling. Uh, I, there's not going to be a live stream. Uh, if you are not able to, uh, to make it there live, it will be, I believe on IWTV by the end of the, of this next week. So. But look out for that and, uh, do give a plug for the Patreon and everyone's best friend, the viewership spreadsheet. The viewership spreadsheet. I see, I see John Pollock lurking around in there sometimes. Oh, dude, it's, uh, it's a. <laughs> this is the almanac of television viewership. Yes, you can. Uh, I do a podcast every week for free. WrestleNomics Radio. It's on your podcast feed. Just search for WrestleNomics. Uh, we have a website, WrestleNomics.com, where there's articles for free and 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 data. And then there's the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash WrestleNomics. Just for five dollars a month, you can get access to. I've been doing. Uh, all these reports, I, I guess I'm, I'm the ratings guy now. I've been doing all these reports. Uh, Showbuzz yeah. Brandon. Yeah. Uh, Showbuzz is dead. Long live Showbuzz. Uh, I've been doing reports every uh, four days a week at least, and then there's impact too. Um, the, the ratings are there. Uh, that is the original place where I, th- where I think everybody is, is getting the, uh, the ratings from at this point. Sometimes John O'Ran scoops me. Um, but yeah. There's also, we do occasional emergency podcasts. We just did one last night uh, in reaction to the WWE Q2 earnings report. Uh, 
and I've been doing uh, occasional reports of, of other kinds too. At the beginning of the month, I'll probably be doing another uh, Google Trends web search report where we, where we look through, you know, what's the web search volume like using Google Trends to look at uh, wrestling promotions and wrestling personalities uh, where we see things like, you know, Mark Henry and Big Show towering over everyone in AEW <laughs> and things like that. And uh, I've been doing uh, some YouTube view stuff too, as I learn how to, uh, to do Python. So yeah, look for that. I think that's, you can follow me at Russellnomics and at Brandon Thurston on Twitter. Go check out all of that uh, tremendous work uh, over at Russellnomics. Uh, you can also hear Brandon with, uh, with Chris Gulo dropping audio every Sunday night. Check all yes. of that stuff out. And Brandon, thank you very much. This, uh, we probably set a record here. We, we went into an overrun here. This is probably Did the we? longest uh, rewind a quarter that we have done, but people can't get enough of this. These are the shows I get some of the most compliments over. So awesome. uh, you always bring the good. So thank you so much, Brandon. And we look forward to Q3. Yes. Q3 is always around Halloween, sometimes on Halloween, where uh, we will have the first quarter where they will actually have results to report related to live events and uh, whatever the state of their, their TV viewership is at that point. All right. And that's going to wrap us up. Uh, we're going to be back in just a couple of hours because we've got SmackDown coming up. One of the, one of the last Fridays folks where it's only two hours of programming pre the pre rampage era, not looking yeah. forward to this, uh, this, this third yeah. hour that we're tacking on to, uh, to Fridays, but here we are in the, uh, the content era. So we'll be back yeah. with rewind to SmackDown. And thank you once again to Brandon Thurston for joining us.